chapter 6. This is the fifth week we've been in our study concerning spiritual warfare. It is amazing that so many people in the world today are oblivious to the fact that there, there are angels, there are demons. God is real, Satan is real, heaven is real, hell is real. Because of that, we find ourselves in, in the middle of an ongoing war that after generation after generation continues to rage. This morning I'm going to be speaking about the matter of truth. I'll read the text in just a minute. Had I originally been thinking, I would have inserted another message here that something I've preached about many times, but on this occasion, I didn't think uh, to add it to this particular series. And uh, I would have preached about deception. Now, if you've been here during the course of this series, what I'm about to say has basically already been covered in some of the earlier messages, but it's something that we need to be mindful of all of the time. And if we're going to think about truth, we also need to consider Satan's plan to deceive, so we need to think about deception. That takes us all the way back into the past, Genesis chapter 3. Naturally, we all know the story of Adam and Eve and how Eve was deceived by Satan and consequently man fell. But then we have to think about deception not only in the past, but at the present. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, you don't need to turn there. I mean, you might be familiar with those passages where Paul describes exactly what it's going to be like during this period in which we live. The Bible tells us Satan is the father of, li of lies, and, uh, and consequently we are bombarded with misinformation, disinformation, fake news, and false prophets. It comes at us from all direction. He's constantly trying to lure us away from, from the truth. Paul said over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, said, don't, don't be surprised by that because he has ministers doing that. We might be, we might be surprised how many, how many so-called people of the clergy are actually representing Satan and doing his work, sowing seeds of not only discord, but sowing seeds of dishonesty as deceiving people. So we need to think about deception in the past and the present, but we need to think about it prophetically. You know, sometimes we wonder, how in the world did we get where we are today? How can it be that in just a few generations that we're in this place? Well, it's because Satan has been at work all of this time, and he's not going to let up. We talk about the Lord coming back and we rejoice in that as Christians. That's our blessed hope. Amen. But others look at us like we must be some kind of a nut. We must, we must be a fanatic. Talk about, you know, the dead coming up out of the ground and those Christians that are alive and remain called up to be with the Lord in the air. We go talking about stuff like a one world government, a one world church and all of those things and the Antichrist. 
But the Bible tells us that people at that time will believe the lie of the Antichrist. Deception, again, he's the Antichrist. Deception, prophetically, that's all we've got to look forward to. It's not only the way it is now, that's the way it's going to be. And so today we need to think about the matter of protection. Remember the Lord said in John chapter number 8, And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now as we start today in Ephesians chapter 6, talking about the armor of God, we looked at that statement in general last week, but today we're going to get specific and look at each one of the articles that are mentioned here. And notice verse number 14. This is our text. He says, Stand Therefore, speaking about Christians, stand, don't give in, don't cave into the pressure of this world, don't listen to that which you know is, is not true. He says, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, I can't read that without thinking about Paul's situation. Here's an old man, spent all of this time serving the Lord had been beaten and imprisoned, and now he's in a Roman prison. He's guarded by what was probably a young guard in the, in the most, world's most powerful army. And here he is in his cell, a man who wants to serve God more than anything in life. And, and now he's in what seems to be an impossible situation. What can I do here? You'd be surprised how many dear Christians feel that way. There are sweet Christian people out here in nursing homes that feel like, I can't do anything to serve the Lord. I'm locked up here in a nursing home 24 hours a day. They tell me when I can eat and what I can eat and when I got to go to bed when the lights are out, da, da, da. They just feel useless. Let me tell you, as a Christian, you'll never be in any situation where you are not of some use to the Lord or otherwise you wouldn't be here. Here he is in prison, and it seems like it, it's, it's all over for him. And yet he writes some of the most important things ever written. Some of the most important things he had ever written, I believe. And here he is guarded by this, this guard, perhaps even speaking to the guard. I can't imagine Paul remaining silent, can you? I feel certain that he was trying to tell the guard about the Lord. And whatever the details are, we can rest assured that the Holy Spirit was giving Paul a message. The Holy Spirit was calling his attention to exactly how that, uh, that guard and those soldiers were in uniform. Look, this isn't some Paul just conjured up in his mind. Well, you know, I think I'll get a sermon together, and so uh, I'll just use that as an illustration. It's not what Paul did. It's what the Holy Spirit is doing in showing him these different things because the Holy Spirit wants him to write this letter to the church at Ephesus and ultimately to all of us that will be reading God's Word about the spiritual warfare that we're involved in. Notice the article described. This, by the way, this is the first article of armor that's mentioned here, and it's that way for a reason. Whenever he talks about a girdle, he's talking about what you might call a sash 
that would serve as a belt. And, and uh, for the rich people, you know, it might be made of linen. It might be finely decorated and things like that for poor people. It could be of leather for the soldiers. It could be a belt four, six inches wide, something like that. But it was of great importance in those days. The men wore long, loose-fitting garments, and this girdle was used to bind up the garment during any kind of activity. Uh, otherwise, they're going to stumble all over the place, and they're going to get entangled. They're going to fall. They're going to get defeated. The Bible speaks about John the Baptist wearing a leather leather girdle, and uh, if you're going to fight successfully you can't get entangled remember what paul said no man that warreth what entangleth himself with the affairs of this life and so this was served a practical purpose it to look at it it might seem like you know this 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 doesn't amount to much but it did amount to much a soldier couldn't fight effectively if he's encumbered by this long robe and uh and they used it to carry weapons in, things of that nature. So it wasn't just there, it was there for a purpose. I'm told by the historians that those soldiers oftentimes would display their, the rewards that they had received on that. The Lord said, let your loins, this is in Luke chapter 12, let your loins be girded about. Speaking to believers, let your loins, the loins is that, that part of your midsection, that part of your back, somebody's down in their back and those big muscles on each side and, and this area all through here, that is your loins. And that, that is so very important as, as somebody that's had some back problems and I look out there and it was a time where I used to say, if you're gonna join, back then it was Northway Baptist Church, you've got to have back surgery because nearly everybody, it seemed like all the men had had back surgery. Brother John's had, I don't know how many, I lost track. But I tell you, when you're down in your back, you're down. I don't care how big, how strong you are, when you get down in your back, you're down. And for these soldiers, for them to be out there and not prepared, for them to not be girded about, with their loins and girded about with truth, they don't stand a chance. Notice how the armor's defined. He calls it the girdle of truth. Now that raises a question. What does it mean by truth? And I, I raise that question because, believe it or not, there's a lot of debate by a lot of preachers even that, that are confused about it. Some claim that it simply means that since it's the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. Later on, he talks about that, that, that it couldn't refer to God's Word. And so they say this, this has to speak about sincerity or truthfulness. You know. Now, I agree that we ought to be truthful. I believe we ought to be sincere. But let me tell you, sincerity alone is never enough in your battle against Satan. You can be ever so sincere, but you can be so very wrong and you're going to suffer defeat. Now, when we talk about the truth, we're talking about the Word of God. And it's true that, that the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. But there are different aspects of the Word. Whenever he talks about using the Word of God as the sword of the Spirit there, 
he's speaking about using a specific verse or section of the scripture in regards to something. But we also, when we speak of the word of God, we're talking here about the truth in general. We're talking about the word of God as a whole. And that's what he's saying, that we're to put on, we're to... Uh, put the armor, the girdle of truth on. That is the whole word of God. And, and that, that's exactly what the Lord did. You remember in the battle against Satan, what did he do? He used the word of God against him. That's the sword of the spirit. But we, we, are, we are to clothe ourselves in the word. And you know, sometimes we talk about the faith. And a lot of people are confused about that because they think we're talking about our confidence in God whenever we use the word faith. And, and certainly whenever we say, well, I've got a lot of faith, that means we've got a lot of confidence in God. But when the Bible says, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, it's talking about the whole body of truth. Are you with me? We're talking about the whole word of God. And, and that's what he's speaking about here. When he says, let your loins be girded about, and here is put on the armor of truth. That uh, has to do with our, just not our knowledge, but also our willingness to obey what we know. A lot of times, you know, we go through the Bible and we memorize these verses and we look back over here and we go through those. We remember a sermon, a Sunday school lesson, and we've got that all down. We're ready for exam. We passed the exam. We've got all of that knowledge. But all of that knowledge doesn't help us if there's not a readiness on our part to do what we know to do. So he says, girt yourself about with truth. Put on the, the girdle of truth. It's talking about you not just being aware of the truth, but as James says, of you being a doer of the word. John chapter 8, verse 32 says, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. He said in chapter 17, Sanctify them through the truth. Thy word is truth. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, Paul said. Quit you like men, be strong. So there's no doubt about it whenever he says that we're to put on the girdle of truth. He's talking about the word of God being knowledgeable of it and willingness, our willingness to follow it. Now here's the application. Remember Jesus said that Satan is a liar and the father of it. And he is constantly at work trying to confuse us He's doing a good job confusing the world, there's no doubt about that. And many folks claim, well, you know, it really doesn't matter as long as, as long as you're sincere in what you believe. It might be you have neighbors like that, you have relatives like that, you have friends like that. In their mind, one religion is just as good as another. After all, how could, how could this loving God, how could he reject some when they are so very sincere right doesn't seem fair but the Lord said it's the truth that sets you free it's not how dedicated you are to some particular religion or some particular denomination 
Not only do we have to be emphatic about what we believe, but we have to be correct in what we believe. Paul said, I know, I know in whom I have believed. And that, of course, was the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul knew what he believed, and he knew who he believed. And that's what settles it all. You say, well, preacher, I know what I believe, and uh, it's a little different than what you believe, and uh, a little different than what I hear you Baptists talk about, but I'm just as sincere about it as you are. but, But that's not going to get you to heaven. And if you're a Christian... You might be sincere about something, but it's not going to keep you from being defeated by Satan just because you're sincere about it. It's a matter of us being correct, and that is our life in alignment with what the Word of God teaches. Again, we wonder, how could this world get in such a mess? We've reached a point where people will come right and tell you, but they don't believe that there's any such thing as absolute truth. When I was a boy growing up, I never heard anybody talk about, well, you have your truth and I have mine. Everybody has their own truth. I mean, that's, I don't care how you look at it, that's in insanity. Everybody can't be right. But that's the attitude of the world, and that shows how confused people are. So let me ask you, what do you consider to be your authority? What do you go to whenever you have to find out the truth about something? What do you depend upon? Who do you depend upon when it comes to guidance? Because believe me, throughout your lifetime, there's going to be a lot of questions arise that are pertinent to your welfare. You're going to have to make decisions. There's going to be times that all you can do is scratch your head and think to yourself, I don't know what to do. Maybe I better ask Grandpa about it, or maybe I better ask my Sunday school teacher. Uh, I'll see what the guys at work think about it, you know. You better be right. Who do you depend on for your guidance? What is your final authority? There's a lot of tough, crucial questions. And the only way we're going to get it right is if we turn to the Word of God. Did you notice how we started out in the very first part of this series where he tells us to stand? Stand. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't fall over. Don't quit. Stand. That's what Christian soldiers do. They stand. They don't, you know, they don't stop just because it's not popular. They don't stop just because... You know, they've got something else on the agenda. They stand. They don't cave into the pressure around them. And if we're going to stand, we have to stand in the truth because that's our only protection from error. Our firm foundation, as the song says, is in His excellent Word. That firm foundation is what? It's the Word of God. Ephesians 4, and verse number 14, Paul said, Be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness wherein they lie in wait to deceive. He's speaking to Christians. He says, be no more children. That is immature. The moment that we receive Christ as our Savior, whether we're 8 or 80, we are as children spiritually. 
because there's no spiritual growth until there's spiritual life. Oh, there might be a lot of knowledge, but no real spiritual growth. And every Christian ought to be a growing Christian. We ought to be growing in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I often say, when we stop growing, we're backslidden. There ought to be progress in our life. From the day that we're saved till we take our last breath here upon this earth. So he says, be no more children. Over in Hebrews, it talked about those that had stopped growing, those that had just become static, they just uh, not doing anything. And he says, when the time comes that you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone else teach you what, what are the very basics of the Christian faith all over again. He said, it shouldn't be that way. You ought to be teachers. I had a man come up to me several years ago. I'd preached on that verse, something about it, quoted it or whatever. So he cornered me after the service and he said, uh, said to me, Pastor, he said, I'm really deep in the scriptures. And I already knew. I already knew something's about to come up here. Anybody go around bragging about how deep they are in the scriptures don't know anything. I'm really deep in the scriptures, but God never called me to, to teach, to be a teacher. I'm not a, I'm not a teacher. I wouldn't be good at that. But whenever the Bible says the time comes that you ought to be teachers, listen, he's not talking about the office of a teacher. Thank God for our teachers. I've, they, are, they are gifted. They're willing. They work hard at what they Thank God for them. But every Christian has a responsibility to be a teacher. And I say that because we all have the responsibility to communicate truth to others. And so Paul is saying, be no more children tossed about to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine, that is every teaching that comes along. But notice by the slight of men and the cunning craftiness whereby they, get this, they lie in wait to deceive. It's not... You know, sometimes people get led astray, just, it's unintentional. But he's talking about those that set out to deceive you intentionally. And you better believe there are people like that in this world, people that Satan uses trying to trip you up in what you believe. Trying to confuse you in what you think you know to be the right thing. And he's, he's given us this warning if you know anything about children, and a lot of you do, you can talk a kid into just about anything, a little child, talk, talk to and do whatever you want. Well, maybe that's an overstatement. Sometimes you can't even beat them into submission, but I, I shouldn't have said that. Spank them into submission. But you know what I mean. There are churches, there are preachers, there are teachers that will do absolutely anything they can to get a profession of faith out of a kid. So what's the age of accountability? I don't know. It's different for every person. There is an age of accountability, no doubt about that. The point in time where a child recognizes right from wrong and realizes that they are 
a sinner. There's so many times we can deceive those kids, not intentionally, but they're all excited, vacation Bible school or church camp or whatever it is, and one of their friends makes a profession of faith and they get baptized, and that kid's thinking, well, I want to do that. Susie Q got baptized last week, and so uh, I want to do that. I don't want to be left out of this. So they come forward don't have a real clue what it means to, to feel like a sinner in the sight of God at all. They come forward with a, maybe a little smile on their face, but I want to be saved. And you can get them just to repeat this prayer after me. They'll do it. We've got many adults right now right here in this service that made a profession of faith when they were a child only to realize years later that they had never truly trusted Christ as their Savior. Now that doesn't mean, by the way, that they were deceived by a teacher or me or someone else. It just simply means that they had never come to realize that they were a sinner in need of a Savior and come to realize that you're not saved as a result of repeating a prayer. Prayer doesn't save you. We're saved by grace through faith. Oh, prayer can be involved. You're calling upon the Lord, expressing that faith that you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you. And this is why truth is so important because he says there are those that are lying in wait to deceive. Paul speaks in 2 Corinthians about them being wolves in sheep's clothing. Might have the name Reverend on their checks. Pastor, Reverend, so-so. Preacher. Pastor of a big super church. And yet, in error, whenever it comes to this matter of salvation, it's ama it amazes me what some preachers will do just to get a profession of faith out of people. I I've, I've heard people, I can't tell you how many times, say, boy, I had a revival last month, and I'll tell you, it was the best revival meeting we ever had. We had 120 people make a profession of faith, trusted Christ as their Savior, Great. That, that's wonderful news. Thank God for that. Uh, how, how many, how many followed the Lord in baptism? Oh, I don't know, maybe 10 so far. And then you get to looking into it. What's the size of the church? You know, they, they said we had 150 people saved last year. How, how, what's the attendance? 75 or 80, where did they all go? There's something wrong with that picture. And what is wrong is the fact that some way or another, we're not getting the truth across because we're not girded up, as it were, with the truth 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Gird up the loins of your mind. Now remember, we're talking here in the context of a soldier who is in need of the truth, being that which keeps him from stumbling over his own garments, that which enables him to hide a weapon, that enables him to be effective in his warfare, unhampered soldier and his need of being girt up with the truth and that's true of every one of us so we're not talking about just you ministering to other people we're talking about the importance of the truth as it has to do with you and your growth as a Christian your ability as it were remember we're in a warfare we're talking about you being able with God's help to overcome Satan and all of his schemes right and if it's that important wouldn't you think that we would spend a significant amount of time studying God's word submitting ourselves to what it teaches You would think that. And I'm not asking this in the form of a question, by the way. I just want you to think about it. If, if you could raise your hand, if you said, Preacher, I have a certain amount of time set aside every day that I not only read the Word of God, but time devoted to studying the Word of God. You see, we strengthen ourselves. We say, preacher, you, you, you study just because you're a preacher and you have to study. I study because I need what only the Word of God can provide for me because I wouldn't be of any use to anybody else without it. And every Christian, Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth, what, more than my necessary food. I don't know about you, but I kind of like to eat when I get hungry. And it's not a matter of just me enjoying the food. It's a matter of me being sustained by it. You can't live without eating. You need the nourishment. Let me tell you, you can't, you can't progress in your Christian life without the food of, of God's Word. It is, it's our daily food gives us the strength to resist temptation. We all need that, don't we? Temptation comes in a lot of different forms. And we're all tempted in some way or another. Maybe somebody says, oh, I got over that a long time ago and nothing tempts me anymore. Well, you haven't got over your pride yet, have you? Yeah. All of us, all of us have to deal with this matter of temptation and it's through the strength that we derive from the Word of God that we get what we need to resist temptation. But not just resist temptation, it enables us to endure trials. Because let me tell you, unless we are encouraged by the exceeding great and precious promises of God, we're going to fall flat on our face. There's no one here that doesn't need encouragement. And isn't it wonderful whenever someone does what they can to, to encourage you? That, but, I mean, that's what you, you call a friend. 
we need encouragement, the best encouragement that we'll ever get is what we gain from a knowledge of and a willingness to obey the Word of God. But the point is that we have to take the time for truth or suffer the consequences of it. You know, we call this the age of the information age. You know, we could, we could call it really the misinformation age that we're living in today. Truth is a treasure that, that, we ought to, that we ought to embrace with all of our heart. And in this age of deceit, whether you're talking about the government, the media, and the fake news and all of that, or our country, uh, uh, the schools, churches, we need the truth. That's the only thing that will enable us to survive. I'm, I'm so glad that uh, God gave us the truth all in one volume. <laughs> right, right there in one volume. What did Peter say? He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here it is. That God's word is sufficient to meet our needs. So on the one hand, we have Satan, the great deceiver. And our only protection is this book I hold in my hand here. As we face all these different issues in life, a lot of things are going to change. But this is one thing that never changes. The tragedy is that so many people do not take time to give serious thought to the Word of God, except on Sunday or when they're in trouble. If you don't hide the Word of God in your heart before tragedy hits, you're going to be at a loss when you're there in the, in the waiting room at the hospital or flat of your back as a patient in the hospital or whenever some great terrible tragedy has happened in your life. Preacher comes along and says, I, I, I came, I want to encourage you. Let, let me just read to you a few scriptures here. I hate to think this, but a lot of times that is just as futile as it can possibly be because it's, you're a stranger to, to the Word of God. But when you've got the Word of God hid in your heart, and at that moment that tragedy strikes, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to give you the strength you need to survive what's going on in your life. You'll never do anything more important than spend time in Bible study and prayer. You talking to God and God talking to you. The welfare of your life depends upon your willingness to study God's Word, have your daily private devotions, get alone with God, just... Lock it down. Except for an emergency. This is my time. For some it might be in the morning. For some it might be in the evening. I, I, I don't know. But somebody said, well, I, I don't have time to do that. That's an excuse. We generally find time to do what we know is important. If we really believe that it's that of that great value, we, we'll be willing to do it. Remember, it's either the truth 
or what consequences? How, how many of you old enough remember the, it's old, yeah, that's Joanne, some of us remember there's a game show called Truth or Consequences. I don't remember how the game was played, but I, I remember the game. In fact, over in New Mexico, they even got a town named after that game, Truth or Consequences. <laughs> How'd you like to, you know, live there? Somebody, where are you from? Olive or Truth or Consequences. Let me tell you something. We all live with truth and consequences. We either obey, that is, we either accept the truth of God's Word, we either follow the truth of God's Word, or we suffer the consequences. How sad. God looked at His creation and He said, it's very good. Those are God's words, very good. But boy, it's not much longer. He's given instructions to to Adam and Adam and Eve are there in a perfect environment. It couldn't be any better than that. And here comes the devil. Oh, not in his own appearance to where she could recognize him for what he was. He was a charming, beautiful serpent of some kind. And they engage in conversation. Naturally, Satan questions the Word of God. Did God really say that? Did He really say you're going to die if you do that? It's not long before she takes the lure and she disobeys God. And we've all been living with the consequences of the choice that Adam and Eve made way back there in the Garden of Eden. You see, he convinced that Satan Convince them that you can, you can set your own boundaries and, and, and everything will be fine. Isn't that what he was saying when he said, you know, God knows you eat that fruit, you'll be as a God. You'll know good and evil. You'll, be, you'll become your own God. He was trying to get them to do what he had already done. Rebel against God. And this very day, there are people that are making foolish decisions just as Eve did and suffering as a result of it. If they're not yet suffering, if they have not yet started reaping the consequences, they will because nobody sins successfully. Our only weapon in this Warfare is the Word of God, to be acquainted with it and willing to follow it, taking time. And that's exactly what it's going to take for all of us. You'd, you'll never get all you need. We've got good teachers or we wouldn't have them teaching. We'd have somebody else teaching. We got You come to Sunday school, we've got somebody that we depend upon, that we've got confidence in. They're there for a reason. We trust them. You're going to hear from them the truth. But if there's no willingness to follow what you hear taught from the Word of God, there are going to be consequences to it. 
So I got by with it so far. Well, just because God is long-suffering, that's the only reason. I'm, I'm, glad, he, I'm glad he is, or he had killed me a long time ago. God's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Are you protected today, protected from the air, protected from the from the warfare that Satan is waging against you. Let me tell you, he will, one way or another, he'll get to you, he'll ruin you, he'll ruin your family, he'll ruin this church. And our only protection is what? The Word of God. And I'll say this and I'm through. You will never, ever get enough of what you need just by attending Sunday school and the worship service. You can come Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I promise you, you're not going to get all you need if that's all you get. That's why we ought to daily feed upon the Word of God because it has, it has a power that Brother Kenneth and I don't have. This, it's, it's alive. It's alive. It has power. It's able to do something and when you hide that in your heart there might be situations that you face in life you think oh I could never go through that or you might be in the middle of something and thinking to yourself I, I, I can't endure this I can't handle it any longer if you'll trust what the word of God says you can go through anything God ever allows you to, to come to what, regardless of how difficult it is why? Because His grace is what? Say it. Sufficient. Well, that's good enough for me. I don't know what God might be speaking to you about today. It might be you're here and you say, Preacher, I've been saved for a lot of years. I try to be faithful. I attend church, but I have really, really neglected my time of private worship of the Lord. I don't, I don't study the Bible like I should. I don't even read it like I should. I, I don't spend hardly any time in prayer unless something's going wrong. And I, I'm not asking you to walk down the aisle and say something publicly. You can if you want to. But, but I am asking you, begging you, to do something about that today. Make a commitment to God. Lord, with your help from now on, I, by your grace, I'm not going to fail in that area. And I'm going to take time for you, Lord, because there's nothing more important. For the Christian, we don't just worship on Sunday. It ought to be a lifestyle that we live day by day. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Christ as your Savior. In your condition, as with every person by nature, you are in bondage to Satan himself. You, you, you're not your own. You're not free to do as you please. You think so, but you're really not. And the consequences of dying in that condition is to spend eternity in a lake of fire. I'm talking about a literal lake of fire. You say, preacher, you really believe that? It's not a matter of whether I believe it or not. It's a matter that God said it. And that settles it. 
And if you've never received Christ as your Savior, we would love today. You say, well, there's some things I don't understand. We would love to take the Bible and do our very best to show you how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt how to be saved. We're going to give an invitation. Brother David's going to come, our musicians. While we do, I'm going to ask Brother John Weisenbaker and Brother Rick Morse if they'll come. And, and if you've got a question, if you're, you think, well, preacher, I want to join the church there. Well, come and tell one of these men, and they'll let me know, and I'll let the church know, and, and we'll go from there. You say, well, preacher, I've been saved, but I, want, I was going to come forward to, get, to get, be baptized. Well, come on. We'll be thrilled to do what we can to help you. Let's all stand together. Brother Myrick, if you will. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the, the, the power that is in your word. For the way that it enables us to do what we never could do on our own. For the way that it guides us when we're in a state of confusion and all of these voices bombarding us from every direction. Telling us to go this way and to do that. Lord, how thankful we are that we know that we can trust your word. That we can depend upon you to provide what we need when we need it. And I just pray today that you'll use your word to apply it to someone's heart. That they'll leave here today having made a choice, a commitment to hide the Word of God in their heart, to worship you daily, to draw closer and to grow spiritually, to become useful in your service. There's someone that's lost. May this be the day they'll come to find that freedom that the truth gives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. While we stand as we sing. I